0: This morning, I am continuing and nearing the end of a sermon series through 1 Thessalonians, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, one of the leaders in the early church, to a church in Thessalonica. He started around the year 49 AD, uh, and they started to build up the church, but then got driven out by a band of angry Jews who were upset that they were talking about Jesus being Lord. And he tried to get back multiple times, but could not. So finally, they sent Timothy to go to Thessalonica to get a report back to Paul of how they were doing. And in response to Timothy's visit, Paul sends this letter, 1 Thessalonians. We've almost reached the end, basically. Next week is going to be a wrap-up and an opportunity for you to share any testimonies of things that you learned throughout this series. Uh, So I will be sending out a summary this week to those of you who have been here. But this is the next to last week, and we're going to read a very short passage this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. It's very short. It's very powerful. And so if you are able to take this to heart and put this into practice, your life will be transformed for the good. So let's read 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22. Here it is. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Let me pray. Lord, help us to understand what this means. Help us to apply this to our lives and to our church that we might not put out the Spirit's fire in our lives and in our church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Again, very short passage, very powerful passage, and it raises, I would say, four questions, maybe a fifth question that we need to address this morning. Who is the Spirit, since it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire? Secondly, what is the Spirit's fire and how do we avoid putting it out? Thirdly, what are prophecies? And fourthly, how do we test prophecy to see if it's genuine or not? Yeah, some big questions that I could preach on for a few weeks, uh, but we're going to try to distill it this morning and try to apply it to our lives. Again, when I preach, for those of you who are new to this, this is typically the approach is to try to understand what what did this passage mean in its original context? What does it mean for us today? It's not so much about my thoughts and feelings as it is about what does god's word say to us and so we're going to try to answer these questions so we can understand what first thessalonians five nineteen to 22 means and so starting with a pretty big question but pretty important question who is the spirit that he's referring to here when he says do not put out the spirit's fire well as we sang this morning the bible teaches us that god is a trinity three in one father son and holy spirit Same in nature, but distinct in persons. And our minds have a hard time wrapping our heads around that sometimes. But when you look at the experience of the people of God, they interacted mainly with God the Father throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he seems to be God in human form, distinct from the Father in that he prays to the Father, but he claims to be without sin. He claims to be eternal. He receives worship from people. He claims to be able to forgive sins. All these things that are the realm of God alone, he claims to have for himself. And so now they're faced with this conundrum where we have God the Father, and we have the Son here who appears to be God in human form. And then Jesus dies, rises again, and sends his Holy Spirit. He tells them in John 14, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Notice that the Spirit is personal. The Spirit is not an it, right? The Spirit is a he. And he says, now I'm going to be ascending to the Father, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And as they interact with the Holy Spirit, they find this is also God. So how do you make sense of this God the Father, God the Son, and now God the Holy Spirit? And they developed this doctrine of the Trinity, three in one, same in nature, distinct in persons. And the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. You might remember that the early church was gathered, praying and waiting, and then it, like, it appeared like tongues of fire came to rest in them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, every believer has been filled with God's Holy Spirit. As it says in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It's a good question for you to reflect on this morning. Do you not know that if you trust in Jesus, that he has given his Holy Spirit to be God's presence in you, In the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and rest on or indwell specific individuals, empowering them for service to God. But now this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, every single one of you who trust in Jesus have the presence of God inside of you by his Holy Spirit. And there's a lot more I could say about the Holy Spirit, that he's the first fruits of the great harvest that we're going to receive when we are with him forever in the presence of God. How Jesus how the Spirit points us to Jesus, how he unites people, how he comforts people, how he writes God's law in our hearts. There's a lot of other things, but for the sake of today, I want to focus on what he's talking about. Paul talks about do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So what is the Spirit's fire? What does it mean to not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit? So fire is an apt metaphor for the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, remember, the Spirit descended in tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit has two main jobs in your life. In the lives of believers, there's two main jobs. To empower you and to purify you. And just like fire can give power or the fire can purify, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. To empower us and to purify us. So let me... Help you understand what the Spirit does so we can understand how not to quench the Spirit or put out the Spirit's fire. So, first of all, the Spirit empowers. Go back to Acts 1.8. This is Jesus before he ascends to heaven. He tells his disciples this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he tells them to wait. Wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. What would have happened if the disciples, in their enthusiasm over Jesus' resurrection and ascension, just went out and started telling everybody about Jesus without waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit? Nothing would have happened of spiritual significance. Because in their power, in their own human power, they could do nothing of spiritual significance. So Jesus says, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. And then when you go out and be my witnesses, it will have spiritual power behind it to transform lives. And it's not any different today. It may be a couple thousand years later, but it's not any different today. If we, in our enthusiasm, just go out and start doing ministry and preaching and all kinds of things without the power of the Holy Spirit nothing of spiritual significance will happen. And if the enemy, Satan, can keep you busy doing stuff for God without waiting on him to empower you by his Holy Spirit, your work will amount to nothing of spiritual significance. And if the enemy can get this church to think that if we just trust in our programs and our plans without praying, without depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, if he can get us to do that, nothing of spiritual significance will happen. That's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. It's a great way of putting it, Paul. Again, if I just came out in my eloquence, trusting in my ability to craft a sermon and words, he says nothing of significance would happen. But even though I came in weakness and trembling, I was trusting in the Holy Spirit and his power so that your faith would rest on him and not on me. Or consider Acts 4.13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Think about that. What would that look like in your life and in our church if that's the way it was? People look at you and you're like, you know, this doesn't add up. I look at this person and it doesn't appear that they've got this, great charisma or ability, but the power that comes through their lives must have only come from God. Part of the way that the Spirit empowers you is that he gives you spiritual gifts and abilities that do not come from your own abilities, but come from him. For example... 1 Corinthians twelve four to 11 there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Part of how God empowers you by his Holy Spirit is to empower you for gifts of service. To give you spiritual gifts and abilities that you would not have in your own strength. Not so that you could say you're some kind of superhero, but so it says that they might be used in service to others. Gifts of administration, gifts of leadership, gifts of teaching, gifts of service, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy. To be used to serve others. One great example that I love is from D.L. Moody. He was a pastor in Chicago, and he writes this, or, or there's, it's going to be what he writes in his journal, but first comes the story. In the summer of 1871, <clears throat> two women of Dwight L. Moody's congregation felt an unusual burden to pray for Moody, that the Lord would give him the baptism of the Holy Ghost and of fire. Moody would see them praying in the front row of his church, and he was irritated. But soon he gave in and in September began to pray with them every Friday afternoon. He felt like his ministry was becoming a sounding brass with little power. On November 24th, 1871, Moody's church building was destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire. He went to New York to seek financial help. Day and night he would walk the streets desperate for the touch of God's power in his life. And then suddenly, One day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me all the world. It would be small dust in the balance. Love that example. First of all, what the Spirit can do that human nature cannot do when the Spirit empowers you. And secondly, what an example of most people know the name of D.L. Moody, and he doesn't even mention the name of the two women who prayed for him, but great is their reward in heaven be sure of that. The Spirit empowers for ministry. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians 1, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul prays that you would understand that there is a spiritual power in you, available to you, that is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the Holy Spirit who has come into your life, first of all, to empower you. To do what you could not do in your own flesh. But that's not all that the Spirit does. The second is this, the Spirit purifies It's not just about empowering you. It's about purifying you. Convicting you of sin. Purifying away the dross, the the sin, the, the, the stuff that is not of him. Remember what Jesus said about purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That the Holy Spirit purifies our hearts that we would desire him above all things. That we would want to know Jesus and be like him more than anything else this purity of heart, that out of us would come this fruit of the Spirit, as it says in Galatians 5, that this is what our lives would look like. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, In other words, purity does not mean becoming some self righteous, uptight person. Purity means becoming more like this a person of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So, again, in context, we're talking about Paul telling us not to quench the Spirit, not to put out the Spirit's fire. And if part of what the Spirit's fire is, it's empowering us for ministry, it's purifying our hearts. He's saying, don't resist the Spirit. Do not get in the way of what the Spirit wants to do. Do not get in the way of Him trying to empower you and purify you. Second Timothy 2 12 to 20, 20 to 21, Paul says, In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy. Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. My understanding of what he's saying here is that part of why the Spirit purifies us is that we might be an instrument of noble purposes, ready to be used by God, not filled with all kinds of self centeredness and sin, but set apart for Him. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not quench the Spirit, do not resist the Spirit's work in your midst to empower you, to purify you. And he goes on to say this. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. One way it seems that the spirit wants to move is through prophecy. What is prophecy? What does Paul mean when he talks about prophecy? Prophecies would be words from God through his people. In the Old Testament, you had specific prophets set apart by God. But in the New Testament, it's different that he can speak through each of us by his Holy Spirit. Remember Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 said this. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. This is Peter in response to the crowd wondering what is going on here at Pentecost. He's saying this is the last day. Is God pouring out his spirit into all of us that we might speak the words of God to each other? I'm going to read a longer passage from 1 Corinthians 14. This is where Paul deals with prophecy the most. And so let me just read portions of 1 Corinthians 14. He says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. And so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. And all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. There's a lot in there. He talks about tongues being a language from us to God, and then he talks about prophecy being a way that God can speak to us through each other, that by the Holy Spirit, he can give us words for each other to edify the church. And that can include preaching, where he helps those who preach interpret God's word and apply it to others or it can be a word that he gives to someone for another person. And Paul tells them do not treat prophecy with contempt that whatever was going on in Thessalonica there were some obviously who were treating it with contempt dismissing it as not being from God and he tells them don't treat it with contempt. But he also tells them do not just swallow it as if anyone who says thus saith the Lord is speaking from God but he says test everything. Hold on to what is good. In other words, receive what is genuine and reject what is evil. Reject what is counterfeit. So he's walking a fine line there, isn't he? He's not saying reject prophecy, but he's not saying just receive anyone who says, Thus saith the Lord, as a word from God. But he says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good, what is genuine. Reject that which is counterfeit or evil. Because there are plenty of false prophets, he says. Jesus said this, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. And I don't know what your background is when I say the word prophecy. There's a whole spectrum, I'm assuming, of some who come from traditions where it means nothing and they would not understand what that means others who grew up surrounded by people who called themselves prophets some of you i'm sure react to this because you've come from churches that abused and did not test words that came from so-called prophets and things went bad as a result some of you are curious wondering what it would mean to receive a gift i mean a word from the lord to share i'm sure we come from all different Experiences. I've had a couple experiences in my life where people claim to have words from God for me that were not probably from God. I can remember one time as a college student coming into my Christian fellowship group and, and, uh, and met a girl. And a few weeks later, she sat me down and she said that when I walked in, that God had said to her, this is the one. That <laughs> this is the one you're going to marry. And my spirit did not agree with that. Revelation, but I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? If I have someone who believes God has spoken to her and revealed to her that I'm the one she's going to marry and I don't quite agree, what am I supposed to do with this? I had another experience, I remember, where I was going to be speaking to a a gathering of youth groups and we were at a church that morning where there was a so-called prophet and we went up to ask him for prayer and he told me what I should preach on that night. And I had already planned what I was going to preach on. I had spent plenty of time with God preparing a message, and now this guy was telling me to preach on something completely different. What am I supposed to do with that? If we have this prophet claiming to have a word from the Lord as to what I'm supposed to speak on. I went back. I I sought the Lord on it. In the end, I decided to go with what I had been already preparing. But again, this whole realm of prophecy, of people claiming to have words from the Lord, It's a difficult one to understand how do you truly test everything when he says, test it. Do not despise it. Do not dismiss it, but test it. So let me give you four tests, okay? Four ways you can test prophecy and words from the Lord. And this includes me speaking right now. Four ways to test those who claim to be speaking God's words or on behalf of God. First of all, does it agree with Scripture? That's one way you can test every word that comes out of my mouth or anyone else's mouth. If they're speaking words that do not agree with the Bible, you can reject it. It doesn't matter if they call themselves a prophet or say that they are speaking, thus saith the Lord. If the things that they say do not align with Scripture, reject it. Think of the Bereans in Acts 17 and 10 to 11. Paul goes and says, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Sorry, Thessalonians. For getting called out there. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I'm sure there's a story there about the Thessalonians, which is what we're talking about right now, that they must have been very not discerning when it came to messages and prophets. But the Bereans, it says, tested everything that Paul said against the scriptures to see if what he said was true. You would be wise to do the same. I am not the authority here, God's word is the authority. Anyone who claims to be speaking for the Lord is not the authority. God's word is the authority. And so anything that anyone says, if they claim to be a prophet or claim to be speaking for God, you would be wise to test it against what the Bible says to see if what they're saying lines up with what God's word actually says. Second test we see in the Bible on how to test prophecy is, does it preach a different Jesus or a different gospel? Who is the Jesus they're preaching here? What is the gospel that they're proclaiming. Here's a couple passages about that. First, John 4, 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. John tells us, what kind of Jesus are they proclaiming here? That'll help you know whether it's a true prophet or a false prophet, a true message from God or not. Or Galatians 1, 6 through 8, Paul says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Let him be eternally condemned. This is the gospel, the good news that we are separated from a holy God by our sins, but that Jesus came to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to die a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, to rise again from the dead, to offer eternal life, reconciliation with God to all who would turn from their sins to trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. And And Paul says if they're proclaiming a different gospel different problem and a different solution than that, let them be eternally condemned. You might think of some cults. You might think of some teachings out there that teach a different Jesus, that Jesus was not the Son of God, just a prophet or an angel or a created being. If they're preaching a different Jesus, it's a false Prophecy, it's a false religion. Thirdly, here's another test that we get in the Bible Does the speaker have godly character? Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7 Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, and by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize him. What is the fruit that comes from their lives? What is their character? Are they displaying the fruits of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Or is there a different kind of fruit? Results, consequences coming from their lives. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians thirteen two, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Great. You call yourself a prophet. You claim to speak from God, but your actions show that you are not a person of love because you're nothing. Reject it. Reject that person. Fourth and last test here. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it preach a different Jesus or gospel? Does the speaker have a godly character? And does it build up the church? Does prophecy, does the word from the Lord build up the church or not? Again, go back to 1 Corinthians 14, 3 through 4. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. That that is the purpose, it says, to build up others, to strengthen and encourage others. And if it's doing the opposite, it is not a word from God. If it's not building up and edifying and encouraging. There was a lot in this. Again, I could have gone much deeper in the Holy Spirit and prophecy and teaching. But again, I encourage you, at least with this, that Paul tries to thread this needle here between, on the one hand, rejecting prophecy And teaching and despising it. And on the other hand, just blindly accepting everything spiritual as being from God just because someone says, Thus saith the Lord, just because someone claims to be speaking for God. He says, Don't despise prophecy. Do not despise the teaching of God's word. Do not despise a word that someone says they think is from God for you, but test everything. Is what they're saying aligning with Scripture? Is it aligning with the gospel and Jesus? Does the speaker have a godly character? Does it build up the church? And clearly, the ultimate test is going to be whether something comes true or not. I mean, if someone gives a prophecy that's like, this is something that's going to happen, I mean, ultimately, you won't know until it happens or not. We know that. You can't test that in the moment. But for the sake of today, this is the best way to interpret and evaluate the things that I say or that anyone says. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. I want to go back to that just to end In Luke chapter eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Can I encourage you? Can we ask God for more of his Holy Spirit? We believe that God gives the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Jesus, that he comes and indwells you. But that doesn't mean you can't have more of his Spirit inside you less of yourself, less of your flesh, less of your sinful nature, more of his spirit. How much will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is Jesus' invitation to you? Can we ask him this morning for more of his spirit in our lives and in our church that we would not quench the spirit by resisting his empowering work, by resisting his purifying work if there are things he wants to do in us may we say yes Lord have your way in me if there are things he wants to do in our church can we say yes Lord have your way in me have your way in our church do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, test everything hold on to what is genuine reject that which is counterfeit Hold on to what is good. Reject what is evil. As the worship team comes up, I want you to spend some time before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for more of his spirit. Pray for more of his spirit in our lives and in our church. You're welcome to pray out loud or by yourself between you and the Lord. But let's ask the Lord for more of his spirit. Yes, Lord. Holy Spirit, purify our hearts this morning and purify our church. We confess to you everything that is sin in us, everything that is not a fruit of the Spirit but is a fruit of the sinful nature in us. We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit's fire, purify our hearts, make us more like you, Holy Spirit, empower us this morning to do what we could not do in our own flesh, to fan into flame the gifts of God that you've given us, that we might bring you glory in our lives and through this church, Lord, that our message might not be with wise and persuasive words but might be with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, that people's trust might not rest on man but on God. Teach us, Lord, what it means to follow your spirit, to walk in step with your spirit, to live by the spirit. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.